As I was studying this week, um, heard of the. Um, how many have ever heard of the Psalms of Ascents? Have ever heard of that? There are certain Psalms that are called the Pilgrim's Ascent, as in climbing. And so there are certain Psalms, chapters one twenty through one thirty four, and these are the Psalms that. Um, Basically, the pilgrims would sing, and this is not the pilgrims that ate with Indians, okay? These are the people of God. I don't want you to picture, have a different picture than what I'm trying to paint here. Alright? This is the, pilgrimage just means a journey. Okay? And these are people that were making a journey to God's temple. So they would all come, and how many know how biblical that is? I mean, this is a picture, really, of our life. You know, the temple of God is where His presence is. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, the, the geography uh, that's involved in this particular, um, the ascent to the house of God, the geography has always amazed me more than any other geography in the Bible. Because the ascent to the house of God, how many know that there is a... Descent from the house of God straight down to the Dead Sea. How many know that Ge- geographically? So I'm going to explain it a little bit to you if you haven't studied maps or really got into detailed study of it. Um, but there is a, there is a, um, how many have ever been to the Grand Canyon? How many know that it drops a lot on your way descending into the canyon? In fact, uh, one thing you have to be really careful about, a lot of rescue missions, um, have went into the Grand Canyon because it's really easy, now listen to this spiritually, it's really easy to descend. And so what will happen is you'll descend into the Grand Canyon and you'll do it rapidly and easily. And so you descend really easy. But then the problem is you have to ascend again and get back out of that hole. And so a lot of rescue missions have been taken into the Grand Canyon because they didn't have what it took to get back out of there. They couldn't make the ascent back out. Same thing when you climb mountains, you know, the ascent. Climbing the mountain is a lot more difficult than coming back down. And so we're talking here about the ascent to the house of God. And it's really amazing because it's 2,400 feet above sea level in the house of God where His presence is. But at the bottom where the Dead Sea is, is the lowest place on earth. It's 1,200 feet below sea level. So about a, I'm trying to remember here, I think it's a 12-mile stretch, 3,600 feet. So these pilgrims are ascending once a year to the house of God. And the first one in the Psalms of Ascent, this is one of my favorite books. It's an old book by George Wood uh, called The Psalms of Ascent. And so the very first Psalm of Ascent is Psalm 120. And I like what Mr. Wood, in fact, I think he wrote this like in the 50s. An old book. But on this first Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 120, if you turn there real quick. It says, I call on the Lord in my distress. Now this person, spiritually, is standing at the base 
trying to decide, do I ascend to the house of God? So this is where we're at in life. Now, how many know you have to make that decision for God? Am I going to ascend to the house of God? Am I going to go on this faith journey or am I not? And we all stand right where this guy is standing. And he says, I am in distress. And he answers me. God answers me. And it says, save me, O Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. How many have ever been in that place? It's like I'm trying to decide, am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? Am I going to believe what he's telling me and am I going to walk in my life to ascend to the house of God and am I going to live for him the rest of my life or am I going to continue to listen to these lying, deceitful lips? And this is a representation of evil. It's a representation of Satan. And all these lying lips saying, yeah, don't go. Don't make that ascent. Don't make this tough, difficult journey. And all these lies just surround you. And he goes on and he says, What will he do to you and what more uh, besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach and live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I'm a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. He said, well, man, this is weird. And, and I thought, I was reading this, and listen to this. He says, Meshach and Kedar are two geographical polarities in the dispersion of the Jews. One is as far north as you can go, and one is as far south as you can go. Now, how in the world do you tell me this man can live in both places? Think about it. This is a man that is standing, trying to decide, am I going to live for God or am I not? Am I going to continue to live lies in my life? Or am I going to ascend to the house of God? And he can't, his mind is so not made up. He's living in two opposite polar regions at the same time. And the Bible says you can't be on the fence. You got to decide one way or the other. You stand at the bottom of this hill and you got to, you got to decide. The Bible says count the cost. Am I going to do this or am I not? And you're looking at that hill and I'm telling you what's, what you're going to find when you begin to ascend the house of God. You're going to find the same problems that everybody in this world has to go through. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought I was promised that I could go on a cloud to heaven and nothing would ever happen to me. But what's going to happen is you're going to begin to ascend this holy mountain and something is going to happen. Something negative is going to happen because we live in a world where people sin. We live in a world that is marked and marred by sin. We got people all around us that are doing things that are evil and wicked and difficult, okay? And so we're going to experience heartbreak. We're going to experience grief. We're going to experience things not going the way that we expect them to go. And so you stand at the bottom of this hill and you say to yourself, will I trust God or will I not? And as you begin to take this ascent, it's not easy. 
I wish I could say it was downhill, but it's not. This ascent to the house of God, do you know the place that we're going is perfect? You know that in the presence of the Lord there is going to be no tears, going to be no crying, going to be no graveyards, going to be no funerals, going to be no hospitals, going to be no fear. I'm not going to have to worry. I'm not going to have anxiety. It's a good place that I'm going to, but what this is addressing is, what is my mental state on the way up that mountain? Am I going to continue to trust my God or am I going to listen to the lies? Am I going to decide to climb this mountain or am I going to get halfway up and I'm going to decide to quit? And so the Bible is addressing what your mental state is when things go awry, when things go wrong, when things aren't like you expect them to be, when things aren't perfect. And the Bible continually addresses this. And the Bible continually works on our heart. How are we going to deal when things don't go well? Let me take you to another scripture. Psalm 112. I like the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Psalm 112 verse 7 says this, and I want you to listen very carefully. He, and in this psalm is the man of God, the person who loves God, he will have no fear. Everybody listening? He will have no fear of good news. He will have no fear of bad news, it says. How many here can say you have no fear of bad news? This is where God's trying to take us. This is how God wants us to climb the holy mountain. He wants us to climb it with no fear of bad news. It says his heart is steady or steadfast. He trusts in the Lord. His heart is secure. How many have ever felt insecure? How many have ever felt like bad news really bothers you? How many have ever felt like you weren't steady? And God says that's... I'm calling you to climb this mountain. His heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, everybody say that. In the end, he will look in triumph over his foes. You know what the opposite of fear is? Love. Perfect love casts out some fears. I'm glad everybody knows the word here. That's good. I can't get away with anything, can I? Perfect love casts out every fear, all fear. You know what all means in the Greek? All. It really does. Literally means all of them. It's amazing. Praise God. So how do we get... How do we get to this place? Let me take you to another scripture. Turn to Psalm 61. And God just gave me a bunch of scriptures for today. Psalm 61. Bad news. How does God keep my mind perfect during bad news? How do I not fear bad news? How many, have ever, how many are afraid of bad news all the time? Like, man, I'm afraid this bad news is going to happen. I'm afraid that bad news is going to happen. 
and I'm really afraid that this bad news is going to happen. And God says he wants to make us where we don't fear bad news. 61 says, and this is where God's beginning to promise. um, He's already seen a people that's about to be destroyed, and they're going to be in ashes, literally in ashes, because of the judgment that's coming upon northern Israel. But God never leaves people with judgment over sin without promises of restoration. So he begins to say the good news that he's going to begin to restore. And if people will look to him and trust him, this is what he'll begin to do. And by the way, Jesus in Luke chapter 4, the scripture I'm about to read, it's Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61. Starting in verse 1. This is the scripture when Jesus walked into the temple, he quoted this. And he said, today, this has been fulfilled. We're going from bad news to good news. You know, the good news is what keeps you from being afraid of the bad news. Good news makes you not afraid of the bad news. Isn't that amazing? Listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. This is uh, Jesus quoted this about himself. It says, The Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. Good news. That's the word gospel too. The Lord has anointed me. The Lord has anointed you to preach good news. And it says, He has sent me to bind up the broken heart. Anybody ever been broken hearted? Now we're going to start climbing. We're going to start ascending the hill of God to the presence of God. And one day we're just going to walk right into his presence. This journey upward is going to be over. You know, I'm walking upward. I'm not going downward. I'm not taking the easy route down. I'm going up to the house of God. And one day I'm going to walk right into his presence, into my reward. And I'm excited for that day. And I hope you are too. I hope your eyes are totally focused on being in the presence of God. I hope your eyes are on the journey and saying to yourself, it doesn't matter how hard this world gets, I'm going to keep on walking. I'm not going to listen to the lies that God's not good. I'm not going to listen to the lies that God did this and I'm mad at God and I'm angry at God and God, it's your fault and God, you did this and God, you did evil and God, did you did bad. I'm going to put my eyes on God and I'm going to say he's a good God. And it's all good news with my God. And if it's bad news, I can promise you now, it is from the enemy. And this is all about your attitude in the midst of bad news. You know, the psalmist did not have bad news in his life. He just wasn't afraid of it. He didn't say that he'll never have bad news. He just said that uh, he's not afraid of it. Right? Psalm said. 61 goes on, he sent me, sent Jesus, I'm sorry, Isaiah, I did it again. Thank you, Eddie. Isaiah 61, he sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release from darkness the prisoner, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. So what's the year of the Lord's favor? That's what we're going to walk in for a lifetime. The Lord's favor. This is the year. This is the time. Now is the time to walk in the Lord's favor. 
And it goes on and it says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now here's people that are grieving in Zion. Listen to what God's going to do. Instead of ashes, I will put an oil of gladness. Instead of mourning, I will give you a garment of praise. Instead of despair... You will be called an oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now what I want to know is, how do I go from the ashes to the beauty? How many have ever heard the term beauty for ashes? That's where it comes from, Isaiah 61. Now if you study Hebrew, they will tell you that this is a play on two words. Beauty and ashes. One is e-fear and one is fear. I will give you e-fear for fear. That's the two Hebrew words. E-fear for fear. And they sound so much alike, there's one letter that separates them. I will give you e-fear for fear. Say that. E-fear for fear. Now, fear is the Hebrew word for ashes. It's, it, it symbolizes mourning. In fact, if you were to uh, have somebody that died or something that really bad happened in your life, uh, you would roll around in ashes. You'd put on sackcloth and you would roll in the ashes and you would mourn and you would grieve. And he's saying that, I know that you're grieving right now. He said, but the good news is, I'm going to take your grief and your ashes And I'm going to exchange them for beauty. Now, this isn't just beauty. E-fear means a beautiful gown, garment. And you're going to be blessed with something beautiful. I'm going to basically beautify you. I'm going to take your ashes and literally means to put a garment on a person, to fix them all up. It's what we would call a makeover. Man, how many think I need a makeover? Man, I need to make, I need some moisturizing lotion. Man, I need something done with this thing. All this going on here, right? Sorry, right, you can say amen. I know it. I know it. Spa would not hurt me at all, right? <laughs> but how many know God wants to do that to us? God wants to take us off of the ash pile and He wants to beautify us. God wants to take us in the middle of our journey up this mountain of God because it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. In fact, Psalm 84 says that uh, though you go through the valley of Baca, this is another psalm about the ascents. It's not in the Psalms of Ascents, but it's about the pilgrims ascending. And it says you'll go through the valley of Baca, which means the valley of weeping, the valley of grieving. And he said it'll be like pools of water. He says he's going to turn a desert called the Valley of Baca into a place of pools. That means your journey up, everywhere you go, you go through a valley, he's going to be there for you. He's going to help you up through a lot of difficult, a lot of treacherous. Now, here's the problem. We've been told that everything is perfect when we're a Christian. We're told that we're not going to go through anything. So because we've been told that and because we expect that, when we go through something, who do we blame? Who do we blame? 
And I'm telling you this because I love you. If I didn't love you, I would say, man, you serve God, everything's going to be just perfect. You're not going to have to worry about anything, but I know better than that. Church, I know better than that. I've been through valleys. I've been through dry places. I've been through all these places on my way up this hill, but I will not fear bad news. Praise God. So I started, God began to teach me about this bad, this fear of bad news. And uh, how many have ever felt that? The fear of bad news. And the dread of something bad is going to happen and I can't trust God and I can't make it through and I'm not going to make it up this mountain and I'm not going to make it up this hill. And I'm here to tell you today, you're going to make it this hill. You say, but I fail all the time. Join the club, friend. Join the club. We fail, but God picks us up. Sometimes we feel dry. Sometimes we grieve. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's hard. But God says that if we will trust in Him, we're going to make it. And I'm going to trust in Him. So God began to teach me, how do I trust you? How do I get off of the ash heap? How many know, how many have ever just laid there on this ash pile? How many have laid on an ash pile of grief, sadness, sorrow? How many go back there every once in a while? Come on, you can be honest with me. How many have ever been there? How many have laid there for a few Sundays? How many have laid there more than a few Sundays? And, and, and see what the ashes represent? Everything's burnt. Everything's lost. James, it's like the water you were talking about. That water damage, it's just lost. It's damaged. Ashes are the same way if you've been through a fire. It's like, man, everything's just in the ashes. Lost. And so, you just want to roll in it. You want to just lay in it. And then you start to feel better for a while and you anoint yourself with oil and say, I'm going to live. And then you just go back every once in a while to roll in it. And Job, look in Job's 2, 7, and 8. Job chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. I want you to see where we find this righteous man of God. It says, So Satan went out of the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores. Who afflicted him? So this evil, this bad thing that's came upon you, who is it? Satan. And on most Job's life, do you know that nobody could ever touch him? There was a hedge around him. Satan said, I can't touch him because all you do is protect him all the time. That's a fact, right? If he wouldn't have said that, we wouldn't have known it was a fact. Now remember, Job doesn't know that God's protected him his whole life. God doesn't know that no enemy can touch him because God has put a hedge around him his whole life. Job doesn't know that. He just trusts God. Right? Job doesn't know that Satan specifically afflicted his life. He doesn't know that. He didn't hear this conversation God had with Satan. Satan said he only loves you because you bless him. 
He'll curse you to your face if you do anything to him. You let anything be done to him. So God was like, no, there's nobody like Job. Job's a godly man. And God is trying to give us an example. I started reading this and I started thinking to myself, oh no, God, if I start trusting you real deep, are you going to do this to me? Are you going to make me lose all my family? Are you going to make me lose everything that I have, make me do all this? He goes, Job was provided to you so you don't have to go through all that. If you'll trust me, if you'll not fear bad news, there was something about Job. Look at this. Look, look at where we find him. It says, Satan, when out of the presence of the Lord, afflicted Job with painful sores from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it, and he sat among the ashes. He's rolling around in the ashes. He's got painful sores all over his body. They've speculated what this is that he got, but whatever it is, it's so painful. And when the Bible says it's painful, it's painful. And it's from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He's scraping. He's laying in a pile of ashes. He's miserable. And so I want to know, how does Job get out of the ashes? Because I need to know that. Well, let's find out something about Job. Job chapter 3, verse 25. Look at this. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness, no rest, only turmoil. So what came upon Job? What he feared came upon him. So what did Job fear by knowing that? He feared he was going to lose his possessions. He feared he was going to lose his money. Feared he was going to lose his health. Feared he was going to lose his family. Feared he was going to lose the respect of the people around him. Job feared all of these things. He was a man that was afraid of bad news. And he got it all in one day. Think about it. So God started dealing with my heart and God said, Chad, are you afraid of bad news? Are you afraid of bad news? And God began to confront me about whether I'm afraid of bad news or I'm not not afraid of bad news. I can tell you today when I began to study this and the Spirit of God began to work on me, God began to say, don't be afraid for your kids. Don't be afraid of something bad happening to your kids. Don't be afraid of something bad happening to your family. Don't be afraid of something bad happening to your money. And I can tell you the truth, I've got bad news in all of those areas before, but the enemy couldn't touch me. How many know that? You can get to a place where the enemy cannot touch you. The enemy's going to try to put fear. The enemy's going to make you afraid of bad news. But God said you don't have to be afraid of bad news. And you say, well, God's going to do to me what he did to Job. Job is our example. God is trying to show us an example in the Bible so we can put away all fear. Because it actually happened to a man that could handle it. A man that needed to go through this. God was purging this man. And as he began to go through it, I mean, he lost his health. He lost money, lost his children, lost all of these things. The enemy afflicted his, his body and it, everything that he had. And he's laying on a pile of ashes and his friends come to him. And his friends are like a dentist. 
are not like a dentist. Here's an example that God gave me about this. When you're led by the Holy Spirit and there's a cavity, you have the precision of a dentist. You can speak exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to speak and you touch the cavity. These men were like an unlearned dental professional. They touched every tooth trying to figure out where the cavity was. And every once in a while they hit it. And that's how some of us are. We speak too quickly because we think we have everybody's answer. We think we have everybody's answer. When I can tell you the real answer is trusting God. The solution I was trying to tell you earlier is trusting God. You say, well, what did Job get to answer his questions? And this is where God shocked me. When I began to understand this book, God shocked me. There, there are sermons that you preach. I probably have a thousand sermons at home that I preach. But there are parts of the Bible to me that are foundational to me. This is foundational. I preach this subject matter really often. Because when I began to study Job, there was a part of my life where I was just enthralled in it. It was like a drama that was being played out in front of me, watching Job's life, and just everything was going wrong. Everything was going bad. I could see him. Can you see him in your mind laying on a pile of ashes? Mourning and grieving, you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. He lost all of his children. His wife lost all of her children. He lost all of his money. He was a very wealthy man, lost everything. I mean, he uh, was in such deep depression, he just didn't know if he wanted to live. His wife said, curse God and die. But he wouldn't do it. He said, no, am I only going to worship God when he blesses me? Am I also going to worship him when something bad happens? And he remained faithful to God. But man, he was so sad, so grieved, he couldn't get off the ash pile. And God just continued to let these friends come and say, well, you know, Job, maybe they're, you, know, maybe they're, you weren't doing things right in your life. Or, and, and they have all these different areas where they're trying to hit the spot, trying to figure out what it is that God's doing in Job's life. And they just are poking around everywhere. How many have ever had people do that? It's like, well, you're going through this, so here's about a hundred things that it might be. It's like going to a mechanic, you know, and you're you're trying to, um, everybody's trying to diagnose it. Well, that's something in the starting system. Well, that could be your battery, you know, that could be your starter, that could be the flywheel, that could be, you know, and you go through all this diagnosis. Here's Job on the ash pile, full of sores. How many have ever been there, wounded, broken, beaten up? Man, I don't even know where to turn. I've been there. It's like, God, I don't understand this, and I need to. And so Job does what we do. Job gets mad, and you if you want to read this when you go home, skip up to chapter 38. And in 38, Job finally has had enough. He says, God, and he begins to shake his fist, and he said, you're going to come down here. You're going to answer my questions. You're going to answer my questions. I deserve to know because I didn't do anything wrong. And Job was right, by the way. Job didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't do anything wrong. And he was shaking his fist at God and said, you're going to come down here right now and answer my question. And here's the thing that blows my mind. 
To this day, this is a foundational scripture for me because it changed my life. God actually came down. It says He came down in a whirlwind. Read it in Job 38. In a whirlwind, He came down in front of Job and He said, I'll answer your questions, Job. Now I want you to begin to think the questions you have right now that you want to ask Him. If you had audience with God and you could interrogate Him and you could put one of these big big chicken warmers up here, you could put that right in front of God's eyes, sit Him in a chair in the middle of the room and say, you're not leaving here until I'm done interrogating you, God, because that's what Job wanted to do. You're going to answer every question. So you're like... Why did that person take their own life? Why did that person get sick? Why did that person lose all of their financial everything? Why did that child die? Why did that parent die? Why did this happen in my life? Why did that happen in my life? How many have ever went to the point where you were like the guy in the footsteps poem? How many have ever read that? This is where Job's at. He's frustrated with God. He's shaking his fist at God and he's saying, God, I'm in my life that things went wrong. I walked alone. You weren't there for me. You didn't do anything for me in these lies. Remember at the bottom of the mountain, the lies that assail you as you're trying to ascend the hill of God? Satan has been assailing some of you with lies. God's not there for you. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. And your mind's in two polar opposites. And you don't know which way to go. And God's saying the only way to go is to trust me. And so he says, Job, I'm going to answer the question. I'm sure Job had a list ready. How many have ever had your list? You answer this question and I'll serve you. There were certain questions that I asked. God, if you answer these questions, I will serve you. How many have ever done that? I'm the only one. That is amazing. Man, that is miraculous. I'm the only one. I thought I had a sermon that was for everybody. How many have ever done that? I've got questions and I'm going to ask them. So here's what's amazing that happens. God comes down and He says, I'll answer your questions, but first you'll answer mine. First you'll answer my questions. And He tells Job, brace yourself like a man. You look in the Hebrew... And that literally means, get ready to wrestle me. Get ready to fight me. Okay, get ready to match wits with me here. Okay, and the first question he asks, you know, shouldn't be too tough of a question. Where were you at, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Wow, that's the one you start with, God? Really? Where was I at when you laid the foundation of the earth? And God begins to go through... Some miraculous questions. If you ever have a chance to study 38 and on, it's God asking questions that no man on the earth can answer. Even today, some of the things that are written in those chapters, uh, people don't understand how they knew it back then. Like he talks about the circle of the earth hanging on nothing. Well, man, when did we discover that? You know, He starts talking about, where were you at when I was in the rivers that are under the oceans? Like rivers under the oceans. Well, now we know there's rivers under the oceans. But God's like, what were you doing, Job, when I was on the walking on the bottom of the seafloor? We don't even know anything about the bottom of the ocean. 
But God says, what were you doing when I was taking care of everything on the bottom of the ocean? You know, God does take care of everything on the bottom of the ocean, right? God begins to talk about constellations that we hadn't even discovered yet in Job. Like the naked eye can't see it. So how did, how did they know back then about that when there was no telescopes? God said, tell me about this constellation that you know nothing about, Job. He said, well, tell me about this flower that's growing in the middle of the desert that I made to grow. Where were you at when I was helping that flower grow? So when this uh, donkey had a, when this uh, animal had a baby in the middle of a wilderness and I delivered it, what were you doing? God starts asking these questions. You see what's happening here? See, Job's got questions, you've got questions, God has questions. God has a lot of questions too. Job finally finishes the questioning. And when he gets done, God gets done, Job can't answer any of them. So Job, in an interesting twist, says, he falls down in the presence of God, says, I don't even need to know the answers. And he says, I will trust you. You understand what's happening here? He understands that God's ways are higher than his ways. God's ways are bigger than his ways. The only way that we're going to ascend to the house of God is to drop the questions and trust God. He was right from the beginning. He wants us to trust him through the hardest times. Job went through the hardest times a human being could ever go through. He lived in fear all the time. And God said, Job, your problem is you have to know the answers. And your problem is you have to know the answers. You want to know why I was raised in such a difficult home. You want to know why this friend of mine had to die. You want to know why I'm in drug addiction. Why I'm so uh, uh, addicted to alcohol. Why I lie all the time. You want to know all these questions about all these things. Why did this person hurt me? Why did this person abuse me? Why did this happen? Why did that happen, God? And you're constantly questioning God. And God said, if you keep questioning me, how will you ever live for me? Your depression is because of your questions. Your sadness is because of your questions. Your inability to walk up that mountain to the mountain of God is because of your questions. Don't question anymore. There's evil in this world and there will always be questions. How is God going to explain to our little feeble minds? you got the mind the size of a chicken when you're talking to God, alright? Just realize it. You're not as big and you're not as great as you think you are, but He is. This world is complex. Evil is complex. How many times have you quit walking up the mountain of God because you're frustrated? Frustrated with God. How many times have you quit walking up the mountain because you're angry at God? How many times you quit walking up the mountain because you thought God didn't know what He was doing? God didn't know what He was talking about. God didn't know the right way. You did. How many times? And that's why the psalmist said, how can I be of two different minds? I've lived long enough at the bottom of this mountain. I'm going to start moving up. Guys, I'm ready to take my journey to eternity. I don't want anything to slow me down. I don't want doubt to slow me down. I don't want fear to slow me down. I don't want questions to slow me down. If you want to keep asking the questions... Keep asking them to your own demise. 
But if you want the real solution, the solution is I can trust God no matter what the circumstance look like. And you say, well, what does that mean in practical terms, preacher? And I said that in kind of an antagonistic way because the enemy wants you to be antagonistic. What does it mean in real life, practical terms? Job was on an ash pile full of disease and sores. Nothing changed except this. Now he trusts God, so he stands up and he's worshiping God. Can you see the picture? This man that lost everything, the man that is grieving and mourning and walking through the valley of Baca, which is the valley of weeping, who lost everything and is in painful sores all over his body, begins to, what's he doing? He begins to stand up in the ash pile and raises his hands and just began tears streaming down his face. I could see it. Man, I could see it. And he just be, just begins to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. I trust you. How many have ever done that? I trust you. And I see Paul in a cell right now. I see Paul being beaten half to death, wounds infected and on his body and beaten for God. And I can see him and Silas just worshiping. Oh, praise you, God. I don't have to understand, God. I don't fear bad news. I don't have to understand. I see Daniel. I see Daniel in a lion's den. Man, Daniel had a bad life, didn't he? Sold into slavery. Put in a dungeon for no reason. Man, I see him in that dark dungeon. I don't have to understand. How do you think Daniel got promoted to prime minister? Because he wasn't afraid of bad news. He said, God, I'll praise you in the dungeon. I'll praise you when I'm not treated well. It was probably only a few months. Read your Bible. He praised God in the dungeon. Joseph was sold by his brothers. Man, you had a bad childhood. My brother always got everything he wanted. I didn't get anything. Joseph's brother sold him in slavery and told his dad he was dead. The equivalent of that is missing persons report is filed. They think he was abducted. There's an amber alert, but really his brothers just sold him off to another country. Know how severe that is? <laughs> Harsh, right? But I can see it right now. He's in a pit waiting to be sold. Dan, Joseph just loved God, praised God, got sold into slavery, praised God. I don't have to understand God. He stayed faithful. How, does he, how do you stay faithful like that? Trust you, God. I don't have to understand. You think God came in and goes, actually, what happened, Joseph? Is you're going to be the one who saves the country. You're going to be the prime minister. And so this has to happen. So I want you to know, just endure it, because this is what's going to happen. God doesn't do that. God doesn't explain him. You know, Daniel, just think about this. Daniel became the prime minister of Babylon. The Babylonians were overthrown by the Medes and Persians. Guess who also became the prime minister of another nation that overthrew him? Daniel. You ever heard of such a thing? In history, has that ever happened? That a man was so favored that the conquering army he also became a prime minister of? 
I mean, this is what it means to, I'm going to walk up the mountain of God no matter how harsh it is. God has a plan for me. God has a purpose for me. The enemy can't touch me unless God is up to something. Unless God's doing something in my life and I will trust God no matter what. How many have stopped trusting God and turned to something else? No, I can't handle this. This is too much stress. I need some alcohol. I need some kind of drug because this is too much. How many have ever turned to anything besides God because you just didn't want to trust Him? And God's calling you out today. God wants you to rise up from the ash pile and you say, well, how do I get beauty instead of ashes? The way that Job did it was to rise up with the sores and begin to worship God. And guess what? God began to heal him. God began to restore everything in Job's life. Job was better after than he was before. God made him a great, great man because he worshiped God off of the ash pile. And God gave him something beautiful. He dressed him beautifully. He made him shine to everybody around him. And he's going to do the same thing for you. You say, man, I'm on an ash pile right now. All around me is judgment. All around me is bad things. All around me is things I can't figure out. I don't have solutions for. You know what you do? Same thing they do in the Bible. I'm going to trust God every step of the way. Say, what if people around me don't do the same thing? I'm still going to trust Him because I'm not afraid of bad news. There's no bad news that I'm afraid of. I'm going to praise You, Lord. I'm going to praise You, Lord. I'm going to trust You, Lord. I'm going to trust You, Lord. I'm going to keep walking forward, trusting You. I'm going to walk up this mountain because I know at the end of this mountain, I'm in the presence of God. This whole thing's over with. I'm in the presence of God. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word and your promises, Lord. Lord, I pray a spirit of peace over this place, Lord. Father, if they don't yet have that spirit of peace, Lord, give it to them today, Lord. Father, peace to know that you are ever-present. You are our help at all times, Lord God, that you will not let us fall Lord, in the times that we seem alone, Lord God, we know that you are carrying us. Father, I pray right now that you would um, do something in your people, Lord God, like you did in me. Trust, trust, trust in you, Lord God. No matter what we have to go through, no matter what life throws at us, we have determined we will trust you and we will praise you. Lord, do that work in your people. It's the most powerful work that you do, Lord. Faith. It's more powerful than any circumstance. It's more powerful than any enemy attack. Oh, Father, let the antidote, Lord, love. Love and trust in you, Lord. Oh, Lord, let it be administered today, Lord. Bless your people, Lord.
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to open the altars up. Maybe some of you, uh, we're just a family here, okay? We've all been close to God at times, away from God at times, completely lost. If you're here today and you say, man, I'm away from God, I want to recommit my life to the Lord.